Uh, welcome. I've heard good things about the first session. I wasn't over there, but I heard it went, went great. And um, uh, we're going to be talking today about kids, teens, and technology. So if that's what you're looking for, you're in the right workshop. Uh, my name is Jolene Erlocker, and uh, I currently live in North Carolina, um, but I was at North Central for about 10 years. So Ryan Leak, Dave Pafford, Steve and Dave, who are leading worship today, those were all students um, <laughs> while I was there. So it's great to get to kind of see them in action and uh, reconnect with them. So um, a little bit about me. I became really passionate while working at North Central just about generational dynamics because I was watching young people coming into the school then graduating, leaving the school. And so I started studying culture and generational trends and I really focused on millennials primarily. So that's kind of been my main focus. I have a book on millennials and ministry. I'll be talking about millennials this afternoon. But as I began to study that, I realized a lot of things about millennials were actually how they developed and the perspectives that they had came from when they were kids, right? How we raise them, how we teach them, how we train them in our schools, in our homes, our communities. And so I started to become passionate about what are we doing with Generation Z, the next generation. And I have three-year-old twins, so with Generation Alpha, who's coming up behind them. Um, and what are things that we're doing right now that are going to impact them as young adults and in their future lives. And we really need to be thoughtful and intentional. So I started studying more technology kids. So that's what we're going to present on this morning, talk about. I'm very much an interactive speaker. So while we're supposed to do Q&A at the end, if you have a question or a comment throughout, just jump in. I don't mind getting interrupted, OK? So um, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Dear God, we just thank you for this opportunity to come to this place with amazing people uh, from all over the state of Ohio and all over the nation, God. And we just pray that your spirit would just be upon our discussions and our conversations, that you would lead and guide our thinking, and just give each and every person here just clear insight into action steps that they can take as a result of uh, information gained today. We just commit this time into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so first of all, um, I'm going to do a little giveaway. I'm going to use a few quotes from this book, The Digital Divide, Arguments for and Against Facebook, Google, Texting, and the Age of Social Networking. Um, so I'm going to give one of these away. If you're interested in getting my email newsletter, just drop your name, uh, email in here, and then I'll do a drawing. Or if you have a business card, you can do that. I'll just pass that around while I do that, and I'll do a drawing at the end. Okay. So any pressing questions that anyone's come here with today that we want to make sure we address? Anybody have a pressing question that we should just get out front? Oh, right. I want to know, I want to track everything my kids do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> okay. One thing that I will say then in regards to that, if you go to my website, which is leadingtomorrow.org, um, under the resources page, go down to Kids and Technology, and there is um, a couple of links there. And there are a couple of those links that will literally walk you through how to do all of the privacy settings. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head which one was, is the best one, but there's a couple. There's one from Focus on the Family. There's another one. Um, it's, uh, ooh, I can't remember. It will be there, right next there. There's another one, though, that they'll walk you through on different uh, programs, different devices, how to go through and look at the different privacy settings and make sure you have them as, as secure as possible, okay? So I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of some of those practical details here because we're going to talk more the impact on their communication, identity, that type of thing. But if you go there, you can find those okay, resources. Millennial, I mean the, the yep. Sure. Okay. Um, so millennials right now are roughly 20 to 35. Uh, Gen Z, who are where we're going to be talking more about today, would be 5 to 20. Okay. Th that's rough. So some Gen Zs actually have millennials as parents. Um, but most millennials have boomers as parents, some Xers. Okay. So... Um, yeah, I mean, there's overlap, definitely. But what, really what who I'm talking about today primarily are Generation Z, so 5 to 20-year-olds, and how kind of technology is affecting them. Any other questions before we get started? Okay, sorry, one last one. Yeah, go ahead. Is the boomer parents, do you see a slight difference in how they raise their kids and then exercise? Mm -hmm. yeah, somewhat, yep. Yep, but what we're seeing is a lot of the trends as... Um, 
as uh, like millennial, let's say millennials are becoming parents, things that, things that boomers did, like helicopter parenting, Xers are almost worse, okay? And as millennials are coming of age and becoming parents, they're even more so. So a lot of the trends are kind of consistent parenting trends, but they become more pronounced in some ways uh, as the younger generations become parents. And we're seeing this in schools as well with teachers. So um, when we talk about technology, obviously this is, this is a, a big thing because millennials are more um, used to technology themselves, so they're integrating into kids' lives more quickly. Whether that's a, a youth pastor, a children's director, a teacher, a parent, millennials are more comfortable with technology, so they tend to introduce it into their kids' lives more quickly than, say, an Xer or a boomer. However, it's interesting because I do not allow my kids to have handheld devices because I do this research, um, but grandma was the one who first introduced them to an iPad. The only time they've ever touched a tablet or a smartphone in their life has been grandma, okay? So I'm like, come on, grandma, work with me here. Okay, here's the thing. Technology is a door into a child's life. And we often forget, because we're always trying to protect kids from influences, right? But technology, anything and everything in the world is accessible to the kids through this little device. And here's the thing. We can set up all the privacy settings and do all of the surveillance that we can on these kids' phones, they're smarter than us, and they're the ones who are hacking through those systems, okay? So we never can rely on just the safety measures of the devices or the programs. We have to have a relationship with our kids, and we have to be having conversations about this. That is our most powerful firewall to the potential dangers of this device and the best way to maximize the incredible opportunities and blessings of these devices. So while it's great to use all the settings and stuff, I don't talk about those a lot because really the relationship and the conversations are so much more critical in my mind to this. Um, I have a friend who has two-year-old twins who just last week told me that a friend of theirs came over to their house. She was take, he was taking phone, pictures of the kids on the phone. Then the kids wanted to see the picture, so he handed the phone to the kids uh, to see their picture. They came running in the kitchen to show her the picture, and it was pornography playing on the phone. And so at two years old, those kids, even though the mom had done everything in her, her strength to protect them, this little device came into her home and was a doorway into her little kid, two-year-old kid's eyes and mind of something she never, ever would allow into their lives. And so as teachers, parents, youth workers, no matter how much we can protect, we have to be having those conversations because we cannot always control what's coming through these little phones. Um, okay, just a few stats. Um, does someone, are, is there a light switch somewhere? This is not going to show up very well. Okay, it's okay. I'll just read them. If, yeah, see if... There you go. That's perfect. Okay, so the average... I'm just going to kind of give us a picture of where we're at when we're thinking about um, how kids are interacting with technology today. So the average 13 to 17-year-old exchanges 3,309 text messages a month, about 111 a day. Kids today spend more time with technology than with family or in school, averaging 8 to 11 hours a day. Um, if Facebook were a country, it would be the world's third largest country. ADHD has become 10 times more likely in the past three decades. Studies have shown that kids who spend less time with media have far better grades in school and higher levels of personal contentment. More than half of children aged between 2 and 10 feel more confident using a tablet than learning to swim, telling the time, and tying their shoelaces. Studies show that young people feel insecurity and social anxiety in a world where text messaging and posting have become appropriate platforms for personal confessions, breakups, anger, and jealousy. So when I present these stats, they all sound kind of morbid, right? <laughs> they sound kind of discouraging, a little overwhelming. This presentation, I tend to be very much on the danger, danger, danger side, and let me explain why. I believe in technology, and I use technology. But if I give my kids a baseball bat, and I don't supervise that baseball bat, 
What are kids going to do with a baseball bat if no one teaches them how to use it? Yeah. They're going to hit each other. They're going to destroy property. <laughs> They're going to do destructive things with that baseball bat. Now, is a baseball bat a good thing? Absolutely. Okay, we, we play sports. At, you know, we, we love using a baseball bat, watching what a baseball bat can do in a, in a sporting arena. But it's, it's a tool. And technology is the same way. It's a tool. And if it's, not, if it's not supervised, it's not managed, and it's not taught how to use appropriately, it can become very, very destructive the same way a baseball bat is. And unfortunately, in our society today, we are just handing out baseball bats. And we're giving often very little direction and very little supervision to kids. And the destructive consequences of what's happening with technology in kids' lives um, are, are huge. And for me, as someone who studies millennials and sees the impact of technology that was introduced in their lives when they were in elementary school and, and uh, junior high, now looking at how we're introducing interactive technology as young as six months with no data to support the consequences, I think that as teachers and leaders, we have to be very, very intentional. So this session is not going to be like a super exciting session, but I want us to just kind of have a realistic picture of some of the dangers and things that we can do as leaders to help mitigate them and really equip people to use this technology effectively. Someone had a question. Yes. Can you define Yes. You know what? Let me just write. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just speak this yeah, lingo too much. Let me just write it up here. So millennials, um, like I said, right now are roughly 20 to 35 years old. Okay. And um, Gen Z right now is roughly 5 to 20. Then we have alpha or whatever they're going to be called <laughs> when we figure that out, who are zero. We have one right here on the front row, <laughs> okay. zero to five. Um, and then uh, before X, uh, millennials are Xers, okay, and boomers. So those would be the, the older generations. So I'm an Xer. Um, um, yep, boom, Xers right now are roughly, let's see, roughly 35 to, uh, yeah, 50, and boomers are roughly 50 plus. Yep. <coughs> okay, so a few more stacks, stats. The average age for exposure to pornography is 10, and almost all youth have been exposed to pornography by the age of 17, and we'll look at some statistics um, with that. Data on effects of interactive media on infants and kids is almost non-existent. Okay, here's something I just want to reiterate to the grandparents, the parents in the room. We have tech, interactive technology, like, the, like tablets and smartphones, have really only been in widespread use for about five years, Okay. So think about this. We are giving these things to kids who are two years old, three years old. We have absolutely no long-term research on the effects on brain development, cognition, learning. What they are seeing already sometimes is kids are coming into preschools. They don't know how to build with building blocks because they don't have 3D concrete thinking skills because they've always built and drawn on a device. Okay, so there's things like that are starting to emerge. So we have no long-term data. So I tell parents when, parent, when I do parenting workshops, would you ever give your kid an experimental drug for which there's no research on the side effects? Absolutely not. And yet we give these devices to kids when we have no research on the long-term effects. Okay. Um, now we do have research on TV and DVDs because that's been around for a long time, right? So every hour per day that an infant spends watching baby videos or DVDs, they learn six to eight fewer new words and score 10% lower on language skills than babies who didn't watch. For each hour of television they watch today, children had 10% higher chance of developing attention problems by age seven, including restlessness, concentration issues, confusion, and impulsive behavior. Kids eat, on average, nearly 200 more calories a day for each hour they spend watching TV. And here's an interesting one. By the time they're two, 90% of children have an online history. Okay? So there are pictures and information on kids posted on social media by excited parents that will be there forever. 
Okay? I mean, if you go on my social media, you will only see pictures of my kids from the last two months. I delete, but even that is risky, and I have to think about what I'm posting when I am posting something. The grandmas get on me if I don't post. <laughs> so I do post some things, but I'm very thoughtful in what I post, how long I leave it. I never, ever post their names in conjunction with a picture. Um, so there's many safety precautions that you can use if you are posting online, but most kids, before they can even walk or talk, they have things posted on the World Wide Web that are going to follow them for the rest of their lives. A lot of people in the tech industry do not post pictures of their families online. They prohibit. Uh, uh, Steve Jobs would not let his kids use an iPad. So when you think about those things, the people who are in those industries understand some of the potential um, pitfalls that can come of this. Now, should this scare us and should we never, ever post online? No. I mean, I post things online. But I definitely think very long and very hard before I do post and think about what I'm posting and how I'm posting it. Okay, so what I want to talk about today a little bit is how some of these things, the trends that are unfolding, are affecting identity, how they're affecting relationships, and how they're affecting communication um, with young people. As kids are engaging on these networks, one of the beautiful things about kids using technology and devices is that they are connected to the world in a way that we never were as kids, right? Um, because they, can, they understand, I mean, they can learn about other cultures, they can learn about other places, they can learn about all kinds of things that we never had access to and connect with people from around the world, okay? With our relationships spread across the globe and our knowledge of other cultures, relativizing our attitudes and depriving us of any norm, What's happening, though, is we exist in a state of continuous construction and reconstruction. It is a world where anything goes uh, that can be negotiated. So while this is wonderful that kids are connecting with all these ideas and all these people and all these places, in conjunction with that happening, we also, which I'll talk about in my last workshop today, we're uh, crossing this cultural divide from modernism to postmodernism, right? And one of the underlying values of postmodernism, as it's playing out in our popular culture, is the idea of tolerance, which is a great idea about accepting, understanding, and respecting everyone, right? So those are very good values. But there's an underlying current in this um, kind of the doctrine of tolerance that uh, request, not request, demands acceptance and affirmation of all views, right? So here's the, here's the collision that's happening for our kids as they're using this technology and as these cultural norms are changing. The cultural norm says you have to accept and affirm every perspective and every view. At the same time, they're being bombarded with more perspectives and more views than any of us ever had to encounter in our in our youth, right? So what happens is often as young people are developing their identity, they're being told you have to accept everything. They're being bombarded with so many diverse things that it becomes very difficult for them to establish, this is what I believe, this is who I am, and this is something that is a norm to me. So often what's happening is their sense of identity becomes this constantly evolving process. And we can ask a kid, so what are you passionate about or what, you, what do you believe today? You can be having, you know, for the youth workers in a room, a conversation with someone in your youth group, and they're really, really wrestling with how to even articulate what they believe. And when they decide that they believe something today, you talk to them next week and they've now changed their mind, right? And so often they're um, accused of not having integrity, not having character, not having conviction, and this is true of millennials as well, but it's very, very difficult for them to be able to process all these things. So part of our role as parents, as leaders, is to help them in this process. They need people, and often what we've done is we've kind of just said, go figure it out, right? Process, figure it out, blah, blah, blah. We've given no parameters, but really we need to start to provide some parameters for kids, help them as they're processing who they are and what they believe and why, because many of them have a really difficult time articulating that. Okay, we live in a culture that promotes doing versus being. And this is one of the things that I feel is most critical for uh, Christian leaders to understand, because with this device, um, people don't necessarily always see them face-to-face. 
They see what they're posting via social media or what they're texting. And so kids have become very, very adept at creating a persona and making this is, I mean, I've, t- I've heard research on kids who literally will agonize for days over the music list that they post on social media because they will be accepted or rejected by certain people based on what they post. So what starts to happen as, as our identity is starting to be defined by what we do, you know, what we post, what we listen to, where we go, the cool pictures that we take, um, all of a sudden there's not an understanding of who I am internally but our identity becomes very externally driven. It's driven by, okay, if a lot of people like this or, or you know, favorite this or, what, or t- retweet this, then that's something good, so I'm going to do more of that. And if, some, if somebody criticizes me or doesn't like something or rejects me because of something I post, then that's not who I am anymore. Take that down. You know? So they start to define themselves and create their identity based on this external environment that really has nothing to do with their personal conviction. Okay, or who they are. So when you start to ask, I mean, when I work, I work with college students, when you ask them, who are you, there are very, very few of them who can articulate who they really are because they've been so consumed with trying to be the person that is the person they're supposed to want to be. The other thing is, you know, resume, building a resume when they get into high school and college becomes very important. They understand that uh, we've gone through a recession, that they live in a competitive world, that the opportunities need to be fought for. And so instead of growing as a person in my character, there's a lot of pressure to make sure I'm doing the right things that build a resume that's going to help, um, help me get the job that I want to get. Okay? Like I said, identity becomes based in community uh, versus in an individual and becomes fluid and adaptable. And a lot of that is that online community. Okay, and then how that online community feeds into the face-to-face community. They're rarely disconnected, right? Okay, the social circles, you know, teenagers nowadays lay on bed. You know, when I was a kid, my girlfriends all come over, we'd lay on the bed and talk, right? Now the girlfriends all come together, they, lay, they hang out in the bedroom, lay on the bed, and text each other, right? So um, you have those face-to-face uh, relationships are still playing out online even when they are face-to-face in many cases. And as people are responding to them in that online community, they, their identity becomes very fluid and adaptable. Okay, like I said earlier, tolerance makes it difficult for kids to develop and embrace personal conviction. The other thing is just the breakdown of family and social structures. So I think right now the statistic is I think 19% of kids, something like that, live in a, a home with their there are two biological parents who are still married, okay? Something like that. It's a really crazy statistic. Um, so what's happening is, when you think about now online identities, is that uh, here was a study that an anthropologist, Emily Martin, did on an 11-year-old from a broken home who bounces between three different households. She explains that in each of these households, the rules are different, and so is she. So again, talking about a fluid and adaptable identity, she understands that when I'm at my stepdads, I have to do this. When I'm at my stepmoms, I have to do this. When I'm at my biological dads, I do this, right? And so I have to be changing to fit into each of those environments. And so then when you project that into online communities, whether it's in gaming or it's on social media or whatever, um, it's very easy for young people to start to just create different personas and bounce back and forth, which again makes it very difficult for them to really identify who they are as a person. Okay, questions on the identity piece or comments? Yeah. Um, so a lot of the millennials that I'm, you know, slightly dealing with, they just explain that tolerance doesn't go both ways. They're supposed to be tolerant, but it's not tolerant toward things. Absolutely. So as long as they're okay with lifestyle, what people do, mm-hmm. then they're cool. But mm-hmm. if they want to share who they really are mm-hmm. and say they're raising the bar or they're doing mm-hmm. this, Yes, absolutely. So then they get to where they're like, I don't even want to share who I am. Yep. You know, yep. and I'm always encouraging, you know, from day one, establish who you are. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean you stand on the table and preach, but establish who you are, mm-hmm. be confident in who you are. But all that's watered down because society promotes tolerance, 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 mm-hmm. but they're not tolerant. Yes, yes. And so they're like, I'm not even going to mention it. Yep. And I mean, in my last session today, I'll talk about this in depth, but you're absolutely right. And Josh McDowell actually, he's, I heard him make this great quote. He's like, 
The, the doctrine of tolerance uh, allows, what, how does it go? Something like, um, the only intolerance is tolerated for those who are viewed as intolerant, or something like that. So you tolerate everybody except those you view as intolerant. And so, I mean, more and more in our culture today, Christian values are viewed as intolerant. And that's only going to get more intense. And so, I mean, one of the things that we also have to realize is young people are experiencing social persecution already, you know, in America. It's something that me and older generations cannot even comprehend. The, the social persecution, that's, so you're absolutely right. They sense that. And it's very hard to establish identity. And they also walk this really fine line between I want, how do I be in the world but not of the world? And, you know, I was talking to one young missionary who I was like, how do you explain to your peers that you're a missionary? They're like, I don't. I'm a humanitarian worker who works with isolated people groups. I'm not a missionary who works with the unreached. Okay, so even when they're talking to their peers, young people are changing their vocabulary because they understand. So for them to establish who they are up front may look very different, you know, than how we would establish our Christian faith with a group of peers. Right. 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 Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Okay. In communication, we seem to have arrived at an important juncture in our intellectual and cultural history, a moment of transition between two modes of thinking, calm, focused, and undistracted, the linear mind, okay, which has birthed out of the modern era, which um, you know, was the printing press, and once people were able to start reading and we developed logical arguments with introductions and conclusions and three points and all those things that we've used for the last 500 years to guide our thinking, having this linear process, is being pushed aside by a new kind of mind that wants to take in and dole out information in short, disjointed, and often overlapping bursts. The faster, the better, right? So... I find myself, even as a grown adult with a doctorate who read, I mean, stacks and stacks of books, I used to be able to sit and read for a much longer time. And now this thing is breaking my, you know, breaking my concentration. I've become so used to constant short bursts of information and scanning articles and all of this that even I struggle to sit down and read an entire book from cover to cover, you know, the way I used to. So when you think about those of us who knew how to do that struggling, and then you think about these young brains that this is all they know, okay? They've been playing these, these little kids' games since they were two, Beep, 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 beep. Everything changes. Reset. Okay? Move on to the next one. Swipe. I want something different. Okay? The ability to think in a linear um, way um, really starts to break down. Here for us as Christian leaders is where I believe um, we have to step back and take a pause because God, God often speaks in space and in, in stillness, Right? And so, can God speak in short, disjointed, and often overlapping bursts? Absolutely. He is the God of the universe. But sometimes what happens is I think when that's how we're always processing, you can miss information, right? So, if God is speaking to these young people, I think we need to teach them how to create space in their life. And often what we're doing is we try to meet them where they're at, which is very good, and we need to do that. We have to meet them at the short, disjointed, often overlapping burst. That's how we have to communicate to connect with them initially. But then I think we have a responsibility to start to teach them how to build in some time and space and stillness into their lives so that they can um, communicate not just with each other but with the Lord effectively. They have 24-7 relationships and communication. So... In my day, I would go to school or I'd go to a friend's house. If I had an argument or someone mistreated me or for kids who were being bullied, it was uncomfortable, it was frustrating, but then you went home, right? And I could go into my bedroom and close the door and hide under the blankets and no one could talk to me, (laughs) okay? Kids take these things to bed with them. There is no escape. And so whether they're having a good day and everyone's celebrating them, which is great, or whether they said or did something stupid that they're being teased about or mocked, um, or someone just broke up with them on social media and the whole world is seeing it, there's no escape. 
So while it can be really great to be constantly connected to people, and as parents and teachers and youth pastors, we like having access to young people, right? Um, it's parents who, who push to have kids have access to their phones all day in school. It's not teachers, right? Because parents want to get a hold of their kids. So that's great, that communication. But often, kids live in this world where they have no reprieve. And so, again, teaching them how to create spaces where they can have reprieve. Of course, the hookup culture, I won't talk about that a lot, but this helps facilitate it, right? Where it's just these one-night one stands, and we're just getting together to benefit each other, and then we're off doing our own thing again. Significant conversations occur virtually. Face-to-face -face relationships, as a result, often suffer. I mean, so many people break up, get together, do all these significant things on the phone now. And so often we're losing the skill to have meaningful, deep conversations face-to-face. -face. Uh, and then, of course, we have a low patience for response time, okay? Because I expect you to have your phone on because I have mine on 24-7. And so, I mean, I teach online, and I have students text me at midnight. And then they want to know why I haven't responded to them at 7 a.m. I'm like, I don't respond to messages after 9 p.m. at night, okay? I go to bed, I'm an old lady. So, um, okay, but they have a very low uh, tolerance for response time. They want immediate responses, which also then feeds into um, relationships because if they separate from technology, there's often a cost to the relationships. Why did you not text me back? Why did you not respond to my post? Okay, so um, when they turn off their technology, the expectations still exist elsewhere that they're going to have that on and they're going to be responding. So, I mean, with college students and, and high school students, I mean, they lose friendships. If they turn off their phone for a day, they can lose friendships because people are, well, you don't care about me, you're not responding because that expecta expectation of response time is so high. Um, access to answers online diminishes the felt need to get answers from trusted adults. I mean, I'm a mom of, of three-year-olds, and I mean, it's true. When there's a rash, one of them has a rash on her arm, I don't call my mom and say, Mom, have you ever seen a rash with, like, white bumps like this? Da, 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 da. I go on the Internet and say, three-year-old with rash, <laughs> you know, right? But so some of these natural places where we used to seek out advice and counsel in a natural mentoring way has been alleviate it because we now just go to the internet and we get it from people we don't even know versus someone that we trust, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, are, are, is there notes on schedule? Mm -hmm. uh, I was trying to look for them. Are they not on there? I, I yeah, didn't they're, see on there. they're on there? Okay. No, you're fine. Um, okay, so technology, while it's a vehicle for staying connected, it often becomes an appendage, right? and that they cannot function without it. So it's, it's almost an addiction. Uh, inability, like I said, to separate from technology um, because it will affect relationships. Uh, a teenager I know sent 3,000 text messages in one month. That's 100 a day, one every 10 waking minutes. So on an average, she's never alone for more than 10 minutes at a time. So just, again, that lack of any solitude or separation, right? And if you think about what we learn in solitude... <laughs> And what we learn in separation is this void that's being created in young people's lives where they literally don't know how to be still. They don't know how to be alone. They don't know how to be disconnected. Um, I would say if I was, a, if I was um, an organization looking to take out America, I would not be going around bombing things. I would take out all the cell towers because you would have half of the population that would instantly be unable to function. Okay? People won't even know how to get places because they don't look at maps. So you would paralyze our population if you just took out the cell towers. And so when you think about as these trends progress, what skills are we losing? You know, my husband is a special forces officer. And so, again, my kids will never get to use GPS until they can quote by off at the top of their head every road on the way to somewhere and all the landmarks because that's how you survive when you're in a crisis situation, which he's been trained to do, right? So you can pray for our children. They're getting all kinds of experiments on them, okay? But um, these are things. How do we then create these experiences, though, for kids, okay? Within whatever we're doing as a parent, as a teacher, as, you know, a, a youth leader. 
We live exclusively in relation to others now, and what disappears is solitude. Celebrity and connectivity are both ways of becoming known, and this is what the contemporary self wants. It wants to be visible. So young people are trying to distinguish themselves in some way, and it's often being done through technology. Okay, I just want to touch on this quickly, because to me, this is the biggest concern with these little devices, okay? Um, estimated 43% of internet users view porn. Of 8 to 16-year-olds, 90% have viewed porn online, most while doing homework. Of 17, 15 to 17-year-olds, 80% have viewed multiple hard, hardcore porn exposures. The adult industry that says 20 to 30% of its traffic is children. The internet and the media are now the most prevalent means of distributing pornography around the world with 75 million visitors to adult porn sites per month. A report by NBC News says that more than 50% of all access to the Internet is now on handheld devices, okay, which means that these little things can go anywhere, just like my friend's uh, little boys who are exposed to it there. Okay, um, here's just a quick chart that shows how frequently people across different generations seek out porn. The top row is 12 to 17-year-olds. So if you see it, only 46% or, yeah, 46% of 12 to 17 year olds do not seek out porn. Only 21% report that they have not come across porn. So that means over 80% come across porn, just either they seek it out or they see it. And then of course when you get to young adults, millennials, only 9% have not come across it, only 24% do not seek out porn. Uh, this is a very interesting statistic. I, I don't have the full report here, but it's on barna.org. But they had teens and young adults rank the things that they view as wrong, being wrong most or almost all of the time. Um, when it came to viewing porn, 56% said that not recycling was always or almost always wrong. Only 32% said that viewing porn. So not recycling is worse than not viewing porn. Um, and there was a number of other things that were above viewing porn. But here's... Here's part of our challenge. Why do they value recycling? There's a couple reasons. They hear about it all the time. Okay? We talk about recycling and taking care of the planet all the time. And why is it important? Because there's ramifications for everyone. Remember, they're connected and globally minded and they make decisions based in community. Okay? What they don't understand is that porn usage is what drives the sex industry. Okay, so often they think I'm not hurting anyone when I'm just looking at porn on my phone. I'm not assaulting anyone. I'm not, you know, hurting anyone. They don't understand, though, what it's doing both in the global culture as well as to their own minds. So as we talk about these things, we have, as leaders, we have to have these conversations. They pay attention to the things that are being discussed. And so while these are not fun topics, <laughs> you know, they're topics we have to have. So here are a few considerations for leaders, teachers, parents. First of all, what do we model? This is probably one of the most critical. Okay, my husband and I try really hard to not use these things when our children are around. I go to the park and I sit and watch all of these moms on the bench on this device, do, 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 do. While the kids are playing, well, what do the kids, then when the kids just want, eh, I want my iPad, I want my iPad. Well, why are they whining? You're not out playing. Get off the bench and go play with your kids. <laughs> okay, model to them that that is fun, that you enjoy being with them. Versus if you model that this is the best thing going, then that's what they're going to think. Um, what habits, values do we reinforce through our conversations and activities? You know? We go to the restaurant and we hand the kids the smartphone to keep them occupied when they're three. Then when they're 13 and they sit at the dinner table and they're on their phone, and we're like, why are you on your phone? We train them to do that, okay? We train them to do that. So sometimes it's good, you know, whether if you're in a classroom or in, in a youth setting to say, hey, pull out your phone and let's text or let's tweet or let's have a, you know, text polling or do something like that. Great. We need to meet them where they're at. We have to communicate via text message. We have to do those things. But we also have to model and teach that sometimes it's okay to turn it off for an hour 
Let's practice listening to God. <laughs> Let's practice worship. Let's practice having a face-to-face conversation where we discuss what we believe and why. Okay? Does that make sense? So we have to use these things. They are valuable. We need them. They are good. But if we just go that route and we don't balance it with what are other things um, that we're exp- um, uh, demonstrating to be valuable, then we're sending um, mixed messages. What skills, habits do kids, students lack that we need to teach and develop them? So I really think, like, what, as we look at whatever kids that we're working with, what are skills or habits that we see they're lacking because of their access to technology? Whether that's critical thinking, whether that's adult mentors, whether it's the ability to sit still, you know, without distraction. I mean, I had a medical test a couple weeks ago where I had to lay under an x-ray for two hours in a dark room. I couldn't, they couldn't, I couldn't have a magazine, a cell phone, a TV, or anything. And I had just woken up, so I wasn't tired. I couldn't sleep. I'm like, two hours of solitude in the dark. Do I still know how to do this? <laughs> you know? But it's like, I told one of my millennial friends that I had to do that. She's like, I would have died. Two hours with nothing to do? Okay? But those are skills we need to have. We need to be able to do those kinds of things. So what, what skills are we teaching kids and developing in kids? What conversations do we need to have regarding the pros and cons of technology? Okay, so we kind of already talked about that. Really communicating with kids, some of these things we've discussed today and other things, I mean, this is just a snapshot, but what is the impact of technology on your relationships, your self-esteem? Uh, we, I mean, it shows that kids who, I mean, we know that kids who do not use technology and social media as frequently have higher self-esteem and have a better sense of identity. So having those conversations with them. What rules, parameters should we establish and explain why they're important? Like I have one friend who, she has a 13-year-old son, and she just makes him show her every time he posts to social media. So he's, she's letting him use social media, but they talk about then how could this comment or, you know, post, be understood by other people, be misunderstood by other people? Might it be offensive to someone? Is it communicating who you really are and what you... So helping him process through, when I do post, how do I post? And then thinking about things that he wouldn't normally think about because he's 13, right? So how can we then engage, um, set some rules and parameters, and then she explains to him why, why she has that parameter, so that he can be posting things that are truly representative of what he feels and thinks. Okay, so let's go ahead and move to questions or comments or thoughts. Yeah. So I have three little kids. We don't go out to eat often yeah. at all. We've had a while. We went probably three weeks ago um, to a restaurant, and they had an iPad on the table, and she explained to me how you could play games. Yes. I had to pay at the table yeah. with my card, yeah. but you could also pay for the games yeah. for your kids to play while you're at dinner. Yeah, yep. And you go to libraries now, of course. There's iPads on all the tables. Like, because I don't let my kids use them, it's hard because we go to the library on a regular basis, but if other kids are using the iPads, they want to see what's going on. And a lot of kindergartners, I mean, our local public school has just introduced iPads in all the kindergarten classrooms. So all the kindergartners now have access to iPads at school where you have one to two adults supervising 20 to 25 kids. Okay? So... I mean, it's, it's just so prevalent. It's hard to, it's very hard to manage, you know, if you're trying to manage it. So that's why I talk about all the, like, dangers, because it's, it's like it's a force that is so great that we have to be really intentional about how we engage it. Yeah. Yeah. How do you reverse it? If you've already made that, you know, if you've already made the mistake of, and, mm-hmm. and the kids are totally ingrained in, in what mm-hmm. they're doing, you know, can't, I don't see how you can just, you can't cut them off. Mm-hmm. No, you can't. So it's nope. like, how do you gain that control? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a great question, and it's a really difficult thing to do because technology is so addictive, you know. Um, and it is their world. It's their relationship, so it's not all bad. I think the biggest thing is just, real. like I said, so much of it's going to be relationship. You know, like the relationship that you have with them. And if there's trust and respect in those relationships, then you can have conversations about it, right? You cannot control. Once they're teenagers especially, you can't control it. That's where we have to rely then on the conversation. And just a lot of the, one of the best things you can do in the conversation is asking them questions instead of telling them. 
How do you th how do you think that Instagram has affects your relationship? How do you see it helping them, your relationships or hurting your relationships? So even just engaging in questions that make them think about it versus telling them you cannot get on Instagram for the next week, you know, uh, which is not going to work, you know. So. A lot of it is just that conversation, and we cannot fully correct it, but we need to do everything that we can to get them thinking about the consequences. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I worked with Chi uh, Alpha Kids Ministries for, I, well, I was in it, and then I worked with them, as, and now I'm in kids ministry, and I found that, um, like, in ministry context, one of the best things, and, and it's almost freeing for young adults, and kids is a little harder, but them to give like in small group settings or to have like a distraction box. I used to make my mm -hmm. girls in my small group put all their cell phones, mm -hmm. you know, and um, it's almost freeing when you give them an out. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. um, especially for college age kids, mm -hmm. it's freeing for yeah. them not to have to be bound to the cell phone. And for them to kind of be able to blame you. Yeah, that mean leader made me turn off yeah. my phone. I couldn't respond to your text. Right? Yeah, like, it gives them an out. And yeah. They're actually are more appreciative and they're able to engage better. Um, for my kids, I don't want them to bring. Um, they like it's crazy to me because this is a new position I stepped into. How my kids want to bring their iPad to kids church, and I'm like, you can't bring your. You can't, uh -huh. What are you going to use it? You know. Uh -huh. And so you know, I don't let them bring it in. And I found uh, just giving, giving them outs, uh -huh. uh, slowly kind of uh -huh. helps. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that whether you're. You know, what a lot of families do, too, I mean, this is excellent because, I mean, if you can get them, you're the mean leader, it's an out for them, it's your group or your time, and, and they, they can be free. But even a lot of families, because we don't know what's going on in those devices when they're behind closed doors, a lot of families, like at night, will just have a cell phone box in the living space where mom and dad have to put their devices, the kids have to put their devices, and from like 7 p.m. until 7 a.m. or whatever, the devices are in that box and everybody can see. You know, so you can see if mom and dad are breaking the rules, you know, the kids can. But again, that gives the kids, that's a way in the, your home to give the kids an out because it's like, well, mom and dad make me put it in the box, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. Um, at the teen girls conference, um, we had this discussion. And one of the things that I thought was a good idea is that doing them, like you said, putting, putting them during your classes and meetings, just putting them together. But then halfway through the class, you have like a 10-minute technology mm -hmm. break. Yep, yep, or a, yep, um, yep. Know, somewhere along the way, you mm -hmm. let them check their phones, find out what they missed, mm -hmm. but then they put it back in the box. And mm -hmm. And even employers are finding that kind of policy works, you know, where you need maybe your staff to not have phones for, at a certain event or something, but then there's technology breaks, you know, or like lifeguards who can't have phones up on this platform, those types of things. So, um, some, I think, did you have a question? And that's where, like, for me, I mean, I do not allow my babysitters to use technology with my kids. So there's certain babysitters I just won't use because I know they're going to violate that rule, you know. And with the parents, we've had to have some honest conversations. Now, sometimes I let grandparents break the rules because that's what grandparents get to do, you know. Um, but uh, they eat sugar and use technology when they're with grandma. You know? <laughs> <It's> like, so, <laughs> um, but... You know, but I think you still have to have honest conversations with the people um, that are with your kids so that there's an understanding of what the values are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, I just kind of wonder <coughs> if you really had any advice with this because I've got a lot of school systems now. Everything is being done on an iPad that they bring home and bring home on the line. I hate the thing because yes. I can't even check to make sure you get your homework. Yes, yes. Um, so I, I mean, like, I have it implemented rules. Like, I take the power cords to all the mm -hmm. electronics in the house. <laughs> yeah. That you've done all your homework, and I'll give you a little bit of time. Yeah, but that's good. 
they still have, I can't take the power cord to the iPad because they're doing homework. Yep. And I have no real way of like yep. monitoring everything except yep. for like trying to open all the apps and see what yep. I can. Do you have like any suggestions? Yeah. I actually just, I'm designing a graduate course for educators right now on this. Um, I was just asked by a company to do so because so many teachers are being pressured to integrate technology in the classroom, but they don't even have the resources or the knowledge to manage it effectively. So, I mean, this is where then your, your best firewall goes back to that relationship with the kids and the conversations and talking about it. Mom's not just me. You know, or your youth leader, your children's pastor is not just mean. Here are the reasons why we want you to have, and here are things, even the way we talked about, like, if a, you know, back in the day, if a stranger comes up to you while you're out riding your bike on the streets, which now we don't let pe kids even do, um, if pictures like this come up on your iPad, you tell mommy immediately. If someone contacts you in this way on your smartphone, you can So the things even for them to watch for that, you're having those conversations all the way, the, all the time, the same way that we had conversations about, you know, the parents of Xers had about drugs and, you know, all that stuff. So it's kind of the new drug in many ways. Yeah. Okay, let's do one more question, and I've got to buzz over to the other building. Um, I think that the important figure in that is that, 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 that takes away all the guilt. Yeah. Because Satan will be immediately into them that it's your fault. You Absolutely. That. It's your fault that this person is coming on to you. Yep. Absolutely, and so many, that's what you find with so many Christian kids who know it's wrong, fall into pornography because they just stumble upon it and then it becomes addictive. Whereas if we're talking to them up front, this is going to come up on your computer at some point. The chances are 80% that you're going to come across this. Here's what to do when it does. You know, we're equipping them, and you're absolutely right. It removes the guilt. Yeah. Yep. 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 And there's a couple of those programs that are out there that are really good. Yep. 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 Okay. Thank you all.